Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. I always want to go wake up, San Francisco, from Full House, even though that's not at all relevant. No, I know. It totally, (laughs) like, it totally, A, dates me, and B, it just doesn't make no kind of no sense. And then when your name comes up, because you have how you pronounce it, it says Shay Lushi, I always want to say Salus. Salute. Oh, yes, Salute is well, on fire. That's that's a good that's a good uh, theme song for me. I know. So um, we'll say I have to sing a theme song. How about we do a theme song for you this time instead of No, for no, the... I want to hear the next theme. Oh, Lord. theme song. Okay. Yeah. I know that's too, that's going to be your job every single time. I am. I am. I am speaking. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> Feels a little derivative of the roof is on fire, but it's not bad. It really is derivative. And I had to think about it because I was just thinking about Salusa's on fire. Yes. Well, friends, today we are joined by Michael. Um, and that was a fascinating conversation. Michael has done so many things that most of us think of as very feminine or female oriented. And talking to him was such a revelation because he was like, no, I did those things completely unapologetically it's like this is who i am this is what i'm doing really astute and avid listeners will remember uh michael because this was his second appearance on the um on the podcast he is mark perry's husband and so they live out in new york and he did make a brief appearance at the end of uh mark's episode last season you know he tells his story as you say very unapologetically And also interesting that he was very aware the whole time that, you know, he had to teach boys. He needed to make this acceptable for parents to put boys in, you know, especially when he talks about cheerleading or when he was talking about tumbling and and gymnastics um, and then dance, you know, when he's talking about all the things that he's done, how he had to masculine it up. And he's, you know, as a gay man, I think there was this part of him that was like, we shouldn't have to, but I know how parents will feel the most comfortable putting their kid, their boys in my classes. So I found that really, that line he had to walk was recurrent. It was like a recurrent theme. The other thing I really thought was fascinating, you know, I know that we just wrapped up our season on gender and sexuality spectra. But toward the end of our conversation, you got the sense that he was both 
in touch with his masculine side and his feminine side and really embraced both of those things, you know, in, in a almost like in a very non-binary way, which is, or a gender fluid way, which is I can't be pinned down to one side or the other. I'm not willing to reject this part of myself because the opposite part of myself, the opposite characteristic also lives in me. Um, and it was such a beautiful reflection of, of those, of sort of all of these things coming together and this, you know, I'll say this is one of the most satisfying things that we do in this conversation, you know, on this podcast is to give people the chance to reflect about their lives and their stories and to see it for in for them all come together in sort of this like, oh, wow, you know, moment. And we definitely saw that. We definitely heard that with Michael. Yes. So with for with no further ado, with no further ado. Michael is speaking. Have a good time. I can cut that out. Hi there, my name is Michael Vaticino. My pronouns are he, him, and I am speaking. Hi Michael, welcome. We're really excited to have you on our program and to talk to you. Um, listeners, you should know, or hopefully you um, picked up a little bit on the fact that Michael is uh, the partner of someone that we interviewed last season, Mark. Mark Perry, yes. And if, if listeners are really like eagle-eared or vulture-eared, uh, they heard Michael for a couple of minutes on that episode because uh, yeah. we did talk to him for because we said something about Boomer Esiason and he, and Michael was like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, yes. like, I, thought, I thought you were talking about your coming out story. Why are you like <laughs> saying all of this stuff? Uh, so we did get to hear your voice a little bit um, on that episode, but this time Mark got booted and we have Michael. So yes. Although Mark may make a, a last minute entry there at entry, the very yeah. end. So we're here today to talk to Michael about his story and his journey addressing gender norms as a gay man, right? So there's a, obviously there's a difference as if you walk through the world as a cisgendered straight man, as opposed to a cisgendered gay man. And so we're here to hear Michael's story and, and his um, experience with gender. So I just want to start Michael by just hearing your story. Like, what, what were you like as a kid? You know, when did you realize you were gay? Because I think that, you know, that often has something to do with how people show up in their gender. And then where has that led you, you know, sort of where are you now? And I realize those are really three big things, but it's really just sort of to kick off this like, who is Michael? <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell me where you started and tell us where you are now. This is a really interesting experience because I'm practicing a new language with words gender and I'm going to get a lot of it, I guess I'll use the word wrong, but I'm gonna work on it. So when I was a kid, I was your typical traditional boy. Boys will be boys that phrase, meaning from zero till probably 10, I was a total lunatic, running all over the place, um, very, very active, very, you know, I didn't wanna be delicate. Um, there was no soft 
gentle. It was always rough and tumble and uh, very active. Um, my mom put me into tap dancing lessons when I was very young. I do not understand why she did that. I'd have to ask her something so tedious as standing in one spot and looking at a mirror and just sort of technically making noise with my feet, like absolutely the opposite thing you should have put me in. Should you have been, should she have put you in like track and field, like just run it out, get that energy out? Um, I think she probably thought that that would bore me because I would just keep running and running and running um, <laughs> and like do something else. Um, my attention span for just running would not have lasted. I, I, you know, if parkour was a thing in the early eighties, that would have been really good for me. But she put me in this dance class and I was in a, the dance studio was under construction. So they actually was attached to a gymnastics school. And here I am this four-year-old lunatic doing tap, but I wasn't doing tap. I was staring in the mirror and I was watching all the gymnasts behind me. And they were flipping and tumbling. They're doing all this crazy stuff. And I was so distracted. My mom was just like, I guess this is not for him. Let me put him in the gymnastics, which was a savior for both myself and my family because it put my brain and my body where it needed to be. Well, at I that guess age. gymnastics is the closest you're going to get to parkour at that time, right? Yeah. So that was me as a kid. I was really, really active, um, very energetic, um, very social. And when I was in elementary school and middle school, um, my fire was very alive. I was still very active, still very social. At the same time being absolutely tortured uh, and being bullied for how girly I was um and they would use all the words fag faggot sissy um girl yeah it was everything um and I, I didn't really know what they meant I just knew they they were not good um and you know and I heard the words with my family my mom was adopted by very conservative people and it was constant it was it was constant 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 but I just there was too much fire in me where it didn't take me down. I mean, it would temporarily, I would be very upset that I was getting bullied and made fun of, but my ride was always going up. Middle school was really, really, really tough. But with regards to gender, it was very confusing because I did act pretty girly, I would say, like traditional girly. Um, my hand gestures, my voice, um, those kind of things. But I also was not delicate, not gentle. I loved sports. I loved cars. I loved action heroes. Like, but, but I just, I was, and I was always around girls. Um, my dad really wasn't a big part of my life. Um, masculinity was not a thing I really saw intimately. So I didn't, I didn't even know how to copy it. You know, that was very strange. And I also was very attracted to girls, always had a girlfriend, you know, making out in the back of the middle school, sixth grade. Um, you know, I had, I had all these girlfriends and I wanted to go to first base and second base and third. Like I wanted to go, like and my, my attraction to women was, uh, or, you know, at that age, girls was very high. And it stayed that way until I was probably 14. And the attraction to a man, males was slow 
it was very hard for me. Um, I didn't understand it. I tried to pray it away. And I wasn't, church and stuff actually wasn't a very big part of my life, but it was an answer. I thought that that's what I needed to do. And again, it was very awkward because I was still very attracted to girls and the thought of a man was not really fun. I was kind of icky. And I didn't feel like it was because that's what was taught to me. It really was inside my body. No, I don't like this. I don't want to be by a man. I don't want to touch a man. I don't want a man to touch me. And then I'm telling you, 15 years old, boom, done. That was it. Oh, sorry. No more girls, only boys. Like that was the only thing I was attracted to. Um, it was very bizarre. And I was like, I can't do anything about this. Like, I don't know what else to do. The praying's not working. So this is where this is going to go. Um, and I still, you know, had girlfriends and stuff in high school. That was like a thing that I wanted to do, but I also had this aching for, uh, the boys. So my sexuality was, um, very quick to turn, but my gender, my feelings of boyness were still, again, very similar, athletic, aggressive, all the typical boy stuff or the traditionally typical boy stuff was, you know, and it's how I am now. Mark will tell you, I am, I'm the guy that will go wrestle him. I'm the guy that will, you know, I do all the lifting. I do all of the, all of the, what we were taught as the man stuff in the house or the man jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's my story. I don't know if sexuality really, like who I'm attracted to affected the way I identify as a gender. Yeah. And I really have not started to think about any of that until past two years. And I, I'm really struggling actually. I don't, I, I'm not, schooled enough with the trans community on how or non-binary on how to talk about it and what words to use even for myself I, I get very lost um so but as far as from when I was born to now my identity as a gender is very much the same he him in all of the base traditional ways that one learns in this country. Well, it's really interesting. So we spoke with someone recently who was adopted by an Italian. His, his mom's side of the family is very, very Italian. And he grew up sort of talking about the gender expectations that were placed on him and sort of having, you know, you were saying like, I didn't, my dad wasn't around very much. So, and I just grew up around girls. So I didn't really have that. Um, like a model of masculinity. And he was saying, I didn't have one either because I was adopted. I always felt like I was on the outside of the people I called my family. I didn't know how much I was supposed to emulate them or not. Um, so it's really interesting how models can help us figure out who we're supposed to be. But when you don't have those models, you just kind of like do what feels right to you. But you always do end up questioning, is this is this how I intend? Like, does this actually fit me? Am I putting on the coat that's meant for me? Or am I putting on a coat that looks like it was supposed to be for me, but it doesn't quite, you know, kind of pinches in the shoulder and the arm sleeves aren't long enough, right? And then we continually wrestle with who we are and, and whether the coat we're wearing still fits us basically, right? To drag that analogy into the ground. What was it like being a gymnast? It was really, really hard. 
I'm really glad you asked that. I've never been asked that question. I've never been asked that. That's really interesting. Um, gymnastics was um, the best constant I could have had in my life as a adolescent. The discipline is just over the top. Um, it, when you're a competitive gymnast, it's just outrageous. And I thrived in an environment where that was the priority. When I was being handheld and being spoken to softly, I did not succeed. And I didn't have as much fun as when I was, you know, coached by a drill sergeant. I mean, he was so hard on us and I loved every minute of it. That was my favorite. To perfect skills like gymnastics is phenomenal. It's not, it's so repetitive, but you know, when you do six events as a male gymnast, and this is no knock on any other sport, you know, but the the variety of things that you have to do with your body that's required of you, the it's not a four different kinds of swings and just get that swing perfect. It is hundreds of things you have to do. And if you don't do it right, you don't miss the ball, you break your neck. So as a child and a teenager to daily put your life on the line for a skill, what a really incredible practice, right? Um, the trust you have in yourself the speed, the power, the grace, it's, I mean, gymnastics was just incredible. When, I think this happens for most gymnasts too, when you get to a certain age, your brain starts to understand what's going on, meaning at 14, I was starting to do release moves on the high bar, meaning you let go of it, do something and then catch it again. And at 12, if I was at that skill level at 12, I don't think I'd think twice about it. But 14, I'm, now all of a sudden you understand the risk and you, you're like, you can watch it happen. You're like, you want me to do what? Absolutely not. I'm done. This is too hard. I, <laughs> I have to quit. This isn't fun anymore. I like being on the ground. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, you got to be really friends with fear um this is how i coach now it's not being fearless um the fearless guys also do really well uh, but that's a few of them um but if you can be friends with fear you can be a really talented gymnast and i was not and tight enough with fear uh to continue so i quit how old are you when you quit 14 okay i was 14 i quit worst choice i could have made well so I quit when I was 14. I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I was too, I, I was working out four hours a day, six wow. days a week. Um, and then to go yeah. from that to zero. You have to fill your time with something. Yeah, prank calls. I changed people's voicemail answering machines. It was bad. The cops came to the house. Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So my mom. Your mom wasn't thrilled with that. Nope. Uh, we can't have detectives coming to the house. You need to find something to do. So I called my old gymnastics school and I said, I need something to do. Can I work? And they were like, yep, you're going to be an apprentice. And at 14 and a half, I started coaching. And within six to eight months, they trusted me with groups on my own. And that launched a, I'm going to call it a career at 
a really early age and I built my skills as a coach first. Then I built skills as a program director. I started my own boys program. They had about two to three boys in the entire school. There were hundreds of girls, hundreds. And I built a program from two to three to about 60 in a wow. year. Wow. It was awesome. Oh, I can still feel it now. Like when I would see these boys, man, you know, they, they were in different levels and the command I had over them was, I say command I had over them, but it was more the leadership that I was able to practice was really fun because I was still very entertaining, but I was still young enough to remember what it was like to be them and what, how they want to be spoken to and how, mm -hmm. how they want and how they need to be spoken to in order to get behavior and results inside and outside of the school. I had a blast. So I have a question for you though, because, you know, in the beginning you talked about your gender, how you identify, right? Like in, and through your whole life, you identify he, him, you, your gender identity is definitely male, right? Masculine, but you know, what we're really talking about is like gender expectations. And you definitely were, you were bullied for being too girly or even before you came out, even before you started having, you know, sexual feelings for boys. So those gender norms were challenged for you. Those expectations were challenged for you early on. And then something led you to focus on a boys program. Now in gymnastics, there are a lot of boys in gymnastics. And my understanding is a lot of those higher level gymnastics coaches are men, right? Can you, I, you may not be able to answer this, but what led you to focus on a boys program in gymnastics? I think that I noticed at an early age, um, I think I had an entrepreneurial spirit where I saw a gap in the, business there was room here I think that it was also personal at that age at a young age I needed my other boys around and there there was there was a difference in training the approach was different boys responded one way and girls responded another to certain types of or most boys and most girls were responding differently especially at that age that those younger ages uh-huh yeah I don't think I was in like rescue mode, like, oh, I have to make boys feel good about themselves. That was never part of it. I think I, I think mostly it was just, I knew I could do it. I think it was more of an, I, there was a hole in the business. God, this is a really, I'm old. This is a really long time ago. <laughs> We're older than you. It's fine. Why do you think there are fewer boys who go into gymnastics? It's like the number of girls that go into gymnastics, it's like, like they're obsessed, you know, and, and truthfully, what we have seen from, you know, the U S women's national team, gymnastics scandals and things, there's opportunity to be exploited for sure, but it's actually physically not good for a woman's body to be a gymnast for so long. Cause it really, you do have to stunt your natural growth to do a lot of things from what I have seen about male gymnasts. That's not the case, right? Male gymnasts don't have to stay 10-year-old boys to be successful in their field. So why do you think there are so few boys that go into gymnastics? 
just doing it the way that you were doing it. Like I have a lot of energy and this requires discipline, but like I'm, I'm burning all this energy. Mm -hmm. Attention to the listeners. Uh, Michael has switched his drink from tea to whiskey with this question. Did you see me reach for a different drink? <laughs> I did. I actually did. Yes. I was going to point it out, but I like that you did it. I mean, Shalushi, this is, you know, you're asking quite an obvious question, I would think. Um, this is a homophobia problem. This is the boys don't do girly things. And for some reason, gymnastics at some point, I don't know what the history was, but at some point in our history, gymnastics became a girly style sport. And I think it is probably because we're not fighting mm -hmm. someone. There is no simulation of fighting or beating someone. And when you win at gymnastics, it's not beating someone else. It's you just scored better. You do better than somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's not warlike. Some, you know, sociologist or philosopher would probably find a way to show me, well, in history, when this happened, war became the greatest, like, demonstration of, you know, power and masculinity or whatever. So it's like, I don't, even with like tennis, you know, tennis isn't warish, but there's still this like winner um, and you're against each other. Gymnastics isn't really so about that. That's the issue. I, they, the, the fear of being bullied, the parents won't put the boys in gymnastics because god forbid um even though even at 40 just because of my four, 10 years of gymnastics training and 10 years of coaching it i can kind of probably beat 50 percent of the world in all of their sports just because of my gymnastics ballet all of those things that like demand like psycho precise body control will skyrocket results for any other sure. athlete you know, if, if I did football, it wouldn't help my gymnastics. But if footballers did gymnastics, they, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, yeah. And it's not that this sport or this art is better yeah. than the other. It's just. They'd be better, right. You know, that's why, that's why, you know, I don't want my boy being made fun of. And I don't want to think of him doing something girly. He's only supposed to do these four sport acceptable American sports it's so fascinating to me that people think that way though because if you if anyone has ever seen a male gymnast perform you know and, and you're absolutely right about gymnastics which is you can't you're not just doing one thing right in baseball the pitcher pitches and that is it football it's like depending upon what your position is you're either like super big and muscular or you need to be like you know fast or you know agile or whatever but you don't have to be, like you said, you don't have to have very precise muscle control over your entire body and extreme focus, right? I mean, the, the rings are the one thing where I'm just like, nothing is moving. The ribbons aren't moving. The rings aren't moving. They're not tilting any direction. Their arms aren't, everything is so still. And then they still have to do the vault and they have to do the, the beam and they, you know, they, or the, you know, the par parallel bars. To think somehow that that would be emasculating is like 
amazing to me, right? It's like, I can't really put that into words because it's extremely powerful uh, societal pressure and norms. I mean, it's un it's just unbelievable. And when we're looking at it, this guy is like 0 0.04 body fat. He's jacked. He's on two moving things and he's not moving. He's floating in the air like, like a god. And like, you know, and we're going to call gymnasts fags and girls and no, I can't have my son do that. It's like the, the power of what our culture thinks of us is so huge. And to we have to be associated with this over here. So one dimensional and we're not. Human beings are just, we have, there's so many layers to all of us, but we go, no, I am this and I'm only this. So I'll just use Republicans as an example. I am a Republican, that's it. Trump is my dude and no other thing. I don't care what the guy does, I have to be over here. And it's like the same thing with the gender stuff with the boys, if they wanna do ballet or if they wanna do this, it's like, no, boy is this and only this. I am so amazed with that power I would love to find a researcher that studies the power that I don't even know what the word is the the pressure peer pressure uh yeah I would of societal pressure societal yeah, pressure like and I you know and also let's not gloss over the fact that you know all of that derogatory terminology is anti-girl is anti-feminine like First of all, women are, or girls, girl gymnasts are also super fucking strong and super fucking determined and disciplined. But then, you know, when you say like, well, that, like calling men gymnasts or male gymnasts girls, like not only are you dissing, you know, not only are you insulting male gymnasts, but you're also insulting all women or all girls because you're, you're, it's, it's that male dominated, right? Like white supremacy idea that a white man is at the top of the, the pyramid and then everyone else is below them. Kosha, I did a, I, I created a conference. I, I, we might get there at some point, but I said this, you're the first person to say this to, around me. I brought, so I made a conference for male dancers in 2017 and I do an opening speech or whatever. And I, I said the exact same thing where, you know, act like a man, dance like a man. Uh, like they actually are going to, I was like, you guys are actually going to hear that at this conference, at this educational system that I've created. And it is because that's still expected for you on stage. And you're going to have to learn that character. But you need to understand that don't act like a girl, don't dance like a girl, don't do this like a girl is a character correction for a character you are playing. And I bring up as if being a girl was something to be upset about. I'm like, that's not true. Like, you know, and, and that's actually a defense I had when I was a um, teenager, when I was getting bullied. And when, when the kids that I was coaching would be like, why do you sound like a girl? I'd be like, I don't know. I like girls better. Girls are better than boys. So that's why I talk like a girl. And it was like very instant. Like it wasn't me trying to trick them. It was like actually what I felt. I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, 
I like girls better, so I mm-hmm. act like them. <laughs> I like them. I'm glad you said that because I, I haven't been able to really talk about that with somebody and that, like that. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I was like, wait a minute. I want to say this is homophobia, but why is it bad for the boy to be the girl? That makes no sense. That means you don't like, the, then girls are not as not good enough. It makes no sense. Well, and that's what, you know, like there's been a lot, like Mia Hamm was the person who was like, my coach told me I ran like a girl. And I told him if he was a little faster, he could too, you know, what's wrong with throwing like a girl or punching like a girl? Um, because automatically what you're saying is girls are bad. Like girls are bad at this and you're doing it like girls. So then I'm really curious, how did you grow a program from two or three boys to 60? How did you combat that? This is for girls and don't be girly in less than two years. What did you do or say, or how did you approach that? All right, well, I'll just be honest. So, so here. <laughs> do you need more whiskey? Yeah, right. So, all right, this is how this works. Um, twofold. Number one. Oh man, see, this is where I get this is where I get lost. But this is what this talk is for. I made sure that my training was military style training. I mean. These guys, these kids, like I'm talking six years old, if they budged off the line, we were all doing push-ups. I mean, they had to be in line with me. And if I turned to the side, they had to move the line with me like a snake. And if they did not do that, we all had to stop. The, the style of conditioning that I was doing with them was not playtime. Um, it was very, very strict the style of training I gave was very, very boyish. So I gave them what they, I think either were craving either in their bodies, like, no, this is what I want. This is what I wanted. Or what the societal pressure was giving them like, oh no, this is, this is how you're supposed to be as an athlete. So that's the kind of training I gave them. In addition to that, the second a boy would come in to maybe for a birthday party or parents aren't so nervous to bring their kids to gymnastics when they're four, five, six. It's like, ah, it's fine. He likes to flip. It's tumbling. It's tumbling. And then the parents would meet me. You know, I'd approach the parents and be like, your kid has some talent. I have this program. You know, if you want to try it, come in for a month. It's on me. Like, it's free. They'd come in and the kids just, I mean, they love it. Like, it's just one after the other, after the other. I mean, no kid that came in and had an hour with me, whether it was fun birthday party time or a free class, left not wanting to come back. Well, and then you have you have one kid and one mom who buys in, and then suddenly her block yeah. has all four kids who are yeah. that age are coming in, right? And they're and they're now. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? Uh, they're carpooling and things like that. So you grow from word of mouth. But but I find it really interesting that what you did was built a reputation based on what society thought that boys. It's almost yeah. like parents are willing to hear. engage their kids in activities yeah. that have the reputation of maybe Fast. being you know more feminine or more oriented toward girls. But that if you have the right you know sort of an appreciated leadership style, then they're like no no no. No, like mm-hmm. this guy's not going to turn my son into, you know, a little 
weakling, you know, boy, this guy's like, this guy's like one step below drill sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My kid's not going to actually have to go and peel potatoes in the mess hall, but everything, everything short of that is going to be like push-ups and running and, you know, like sit-ups and. Yeah. And they, and they actually did like it. They're, you know, they, the the boys loved it. Well, I think, you know, I, I also just being a parent, I know of a, of a seven-year-old girl, but a seven-year-old kids really do crave structure, right. And discipline. They crave boundaries because their brains are going out of control and they kind of know that like the person who gives me boundaries must care about me. Mm. They know that. So mm-hmm. I, I get where your boys like liked, liked that. There was something about them that really responded well to that because kids that age need that also. So you did that for eight. For some reason, I have 18 months stuck in my head, but I don't think that's right. I co- I coached gymnastics from 14 to 25. Okay, so not anywhere close to 18 months. Much longer than that. More than 18 months. Several 18 months in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and so then where? what was your transition from there? Where did you go from there? I, I went for money. Um, once, once I understood how skilled I was as a coach, as a technician for gymnasts, uh, cheerleaders were willing to pay $60 an hour to a 20 year old to teach them gymnastics, uh, cause they were really junky at it. Like the cheerleading community wasn't really so great at coaching gymnastics. It was really, really, they were so far behind. They were a disaster. So like, I was like gold, uh, if, if, and gymnastics coaches would, could, wouldn't be caught dead teaching cheerleading. Like it was the scandal that I went to go teach cheerleaders. They were like, oh. Is it considered like below you? Oh my God, so beneath us to okay. teach cheerleaders. Yeah, yeah. Every, you know, the, the, the elite level coaches in gymnastics uh, did not at that time, the ones that I knew had no respect for this kind of stuff. But I made a ton of money from teaching cheerleaders uh, I was hired by the NBA all-star entertainment company uh, to be a tumbler during like halftime shows at the NBA all-star games this was back when Brittany and Justin uh-huh. were together and when Ricky Martin Ricky Martin was bringing his friend yeah, to the yeah. games and Lance Bass was not yet out he was still dating girls no he, he took his dandy old time <laughs> yeah so when I, when I went to the NBA and I started performing, I was tumbling on the, you know, at the halftime shows and I fell in love with the dancers, the cool, sexy music video, hair right, thrashing. Right. God, I was in love. Yeah, there's a lot of the hair thrashing. That's a very, that's a good way of explaining. Like, oh, I know you see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. They were so hot. These girls were so cool. They were all from New York from the city and I was just so enthralled. Um, one one girl, Shara Murakami, and there's this other girl, Cece. Shara Murakami is one of Beyonce's choreographers. She's very, very well known in the industry. And I followed her around like a puppy. And she told me to come take a class with her at <clears throat> Broadway Dance Center in New York. And I was, you know, 19 and I went 
I took one class and I was like, that's it. I quit everything. I was like, uh, I'm a dancer. I'm a choreographer. Um, one class. And then I contacted an old dance studio that also used me for their tumbling to win dance competitions when I was in high school. I didn't really dance with them very much, but I just tumbled and I did like a couple of dance routines. And that was it. Like it was really, it was kind of like my coming out story. I was just like, ah, um, done with this, on with the next one really quick. Um, everyone thought I was nuts. I got paid a third of the amount. I loved it. Oh, and I would watch Janet Jackson all the time and I would rewind. I had videotapes and DVDs and I would rewind and pause and rewind and pause and rewind and pause. And, and those are like, those are real, that's real choreography. Like I think about, yeah. you know, Shayla, she and I, when we were kids, we watched like, you know, Janet Jackson and Paul Abdul. And that was like the real video choreography, you know? VH1 style. <laughs> yeah, they weren't able to they weren't able to entertain with all the effects and the graphics and all that kind of stuff. You had to entertain by right, right with the choreography and the dancing. That's the only way you can exactly. make somebody entertain. So that's where that's where I went. And that's when the sassy, like that's when I was like, oh no, if speaking of gender, I was like, oh no, I really like this side. I want to be sexy and I want to be feminine and I want to whip my no hair around, I didn't have hair. I, I want my <laughs> hips to move this way. I want to wear heels. And I did to, to, to dance in, I would put on, and my feet are a size 11. So you can imagine me finding any heel and smashing my foot into it. And like, I just loved the, that feminine power. All of a sudden I understood like a different source of power um, instead of just muscle it was presentation and intimidation through the way you stand, the way you move. And I never found that with men. I only mm. found that with women. And it was much more invigorating the way that I would see a woman walk and dance. Dance was the only way I understood that because to watch some girl walk with attitude to a Britney Spears song to me and the guy next to her is like wah wah even though he's cool yeah. he's hot he's doing his thing I don't care I want her like I only want to watch her and that's I love that I love that I still do throughout all of this so I'm imagining gymnastics your family is like nope cool it's keeping first of all, it's keeping you out of trouble and it's earning you money how did how did your family handle this transition to dance the masculine masculinity, the overt masculinity is far less obvious. Um, Which the answer could be they were, nobody cared or no one said anything, right? Nope. <laughs> They're fine. I never asked. Yeah, at that point, I think everyone was super busy. I think my, my mom was really, both of them were really shocked that I was taking a pay cut. They did not understand where this came from and why I wanted to do that. Um, I, I got them over that's girly stuff very quickly. My parents were not maniac, conservative uh, jerks, but they did have their times. You know, I remember when I was coaching gymnastics, this is interesting, something that I really started to fall in love with coaching was the balance beam. And it's very similar to the dancing with the girls. So to teach balance, to teach anything, it's much easier if you know how to do it yourself. And I'm like, crap, I don't know. And I didn't just teach boys. I taught girls as well so I'm getting on the beam I'm like uh, I don't understand why you can't get this correction and I would go up there I'm like oh now I understand what the fuck that girl's talking about this sucks oh because boys don't that's not a boys 
boys don't do beans. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. I'm following you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So beam is like a is a beast. It is so hard. You got four inches. That's it. That's the width of the beam. It's four feet off the ground. And I'm like, I got to get up there with these girls because I can't, if I can't connect, I'm not going to be able to coach it. And I fell in love with the stupid thing because it zeroes you in. You have to focus. If you don't focus, not only can you break your neck, but as a gentleman with nail parts, you can break other stuff that really, really hurts. So like, I was really obsessed with the focus and I was doing flips and on the beam and, you know, landing and the power girls when you do a skill on a beam and you land it you feel like you have just crushed a star like that's how powerful you feel when you nail something on that beam and you do not fall to your death it is so cool and i never felt like that as a male gymnast there was no event where when i landed i felt like this masculine rush of like dominance until I went on the girl event and I went on the beam and I'm like no this is way more intense feeling of dominance when you just land on that beam I loved it so much so it's very similar I actually uh took gymnastics for through the YMCA it wasn't like a serious program I was not good I mean I wasn't inclined that way. I did a lot of sports as a kid. Um, I was definitely one of those like rough and tumble, like would have preferred to be climbing trees rather than doing anything remotely like quiet. Sure, my mom, my mm-hmm. poor mother, I actually climbed up some pine trees once and got pine sap in my hair. And at the time I was doing that, my hair was so long. It was in two very thick braids down past my butt. So I had a lot of hair and I had pine sap in my hair and I came home and my mom was like, no, what did you do? Like she was just, and we didn't cut it. We washed it out. And you, and you were like, what? I was climbing trees. What? Yeah. Right. But (laughs) I, you know, I do remember that the beam is, the beam is really challenging. Like even walking on the beam is hard, was hard. Cause it's like, there is a very particular way you have to put your feet down. You don't just smack down like a normal walk. So I can I can project out a little bit like what it would be like for you when you sort of also fell in love with dance and you're like, ah, oh, it's something about how you hold your body as you move. So we're at, see, now I'm all distracted because I was thinking about my experience on the beam. We are now at your dancer and you're in your 20s. Yeah, I'm about 20. And you're now falling in love with the feminine vibe, like the feminine way of moving your body, the power walk, the power pose, right? Yeah. And I, and I had no interest, zero interest in making a fist. No, da- none of my choreography. Not, I did. If you put a boy in front of me and told me, teach this kid how to dance like a boy, absolutely not. I had no interest. So what kind of dance were, was it like a lot of the pop, like pop dance choreography? It wasn't like you weren't doing ballet. You no, weren't doing. I had no ballet training. So you're also not doing like West Side Story dancing where it's like. Right. Right. No. Because that's all, that's all very choreographed fighting in a way. Right. Yes. That kind of stuff was not of my interest. I only wanted to do music video style. Um, it wasn't necessarily hip hop. Like I think they called my class hip hop for a bit. And then I got rid of that because that's not what I was doing. 
it was all feminine, hot, cool music video stuff. And they ate it up. The, the girls at the studio loved it and I loved it. I, I won a couple awards right away um, at these local, not local, but these regional dance, the, the dance mom style dance competitions. And I was like, oh no, I found something here. And I just never stopped doing it, never stopped thinking about it. Every day in the car, um, I was choreographing in the car, you know, and I still didn't really get to take classes very often because I just, I didn't live in the city and I was working and going to school and stuff. So that was a long ride. And I, that's all I wanted to do. I think my parents were most upset because I wanted to leave college. And I was like, no, I want to be a dancer. I want to be in music videos, period, the end. I want to stop everything. This is all I want. And that they was not, they were not flying with that. They wanted me to finish college and get a job and not be a dancer. Um, I don't think that had anything to do with gayness. We, well, I was telling you, I, I bullied my parents out of any kind of that's for girls or whatever. Cause, oh, and then I was trying to tell, yeah, I remember, and I, you know, and my mother's so wonderful. The, I, I remember choreographing beam routines or floor exercise routines for girls. And it was very, very gay. I mean, like the very arms up and the fingers and the twirly and like, it was really, really, really feminine. Yeah, and I think my mom was like really overwhelmed with how much I was into that. And she was like, Michael, something is something about like a girl. And that was when I was pretty young though. But then I think after I came out, after I was a teenager, if I heard anything that was even close to, this is not okay because you're a boy or this is to this or this is to that, either my mom or my stepfather got, I either got physical with them or they, I raged out on them so much that it was done. Like I never heard anything about it again. There, I had no room after years of being bullied, any, anything remotely close to your two T-O-O this on the other side, um, I would throw the largest tantrum <laughs> and they would, they would stop. That's kind of, that's kind of funny or well, not funny. That's not the right word. Interesting that 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 would they would be like oh my god don't say anything to him don't ever say this again because he's too like he's too volatile leave alone mm-hmm. you you could yeah. think it don't say it whatever it is right i mean that's a very effective way of shutting it all down i will bust this house up if you ever say anything like that again i'll take your ass down yeah yes so you went into dancing and you were yeah you were teaching dance them right and like choreographing yeah. routines to compete were you also competing at the same time no I just it was it was to train the kids and that was it um my and my understanding of how to make a career as a dancer made I had no idea what was going on I really didn't use the internet very much um I like inquired with a couple of the people from the NBA how they do this and they're like oh you start a dance company and I didn't understand that language I'm like a company like like a business and they're like well, sort of, but you just do. And it was awful. Like, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. You know, I was just in yeah, New Jersey, right. not really understanding anything. So I was like, all right, forget it. So, um, but actually I stopped, I stopped dance. I stopped teaching dance because um, I plateaued because I did not have a ballet background um, and I did not have any formal training. The, my creativity had boundaries 
because I didn't understand the language of dance, how to use the stage. I didn't know how to use my feet well enough. So like I could impress the judges to a certain point, but it was just getting too frustrating. And then I went to go take ballet once. I hated every minute of it. The worst, the worst, <laughs> hated ballet. It also hurt my back. Like I, I was doing something and I was like, my back really hates this. I really, I'm, something's going on. And I told my mom and she was like, I think you need to see the doctor. And then I went to the doctor and I got an MRI at 23. And he's like, you have the back of a 65 year old man. Um, you're basically a total disaster and you have no space in your lumbar. Do you ever feel pain in your back? And I was like, no. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, well, I cry at night every time I lie in bed, but then I stop after a minute and then it's fine. And he's like, so how long has that been going on? I'm like, I don't know, since I was like 19. <laughs> it's like, so you cry every single night from the pain. And he, I was like, yeah, but only for a little bit. <laughs> so I like how the doctor's like, so the answer is yes. <laughs> Why did you That's say awesome. no? <laughs> yeah, so no more dancing. He was like, I think maybe you need to stop this. Uh, and I think you need, he's like, you don't, he's like, you can get surgery if you want, but, but you really should just do Pilates. And um, my mom had to happen to be a Pilates teacher. So. Um, oh, that must've been really fun. Yeah. Um, I know nice and slow and precise. Um, so I actually didn't do very much Pilates to fix it. I just like stopped being such a maniac with my body and I went into retail and, um, but dance was still my flavor, man. So I, I was working at a mall in New Jersey. I graduated college. I enjoyed retail, but I wanted to dance. And I was like done with Jersey. And I'm like, I need to be in New York City, like enough. I have to be there. So I found a dance store. I found a dance store that was hiring and I moved out of my house into an apartment in Jersey City and started working at a dance store. And yeah, I wanted to start a little dance company called Girlesque and I wanted to go to bars and like just have four girls just be like super hot, entertaining, like do a cool. little dance here and there, kind of like- Oh, like burlesque. Yeah. Yes, Kosha. Oh, I totally get yeah, it. Yeah, like burlesque, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm smart and sometimes it comes later, okay. So is it like, yeah. like burlesque, like burlesque plus like coyote ugly? Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. 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 Very good. <laughs> that was not an original idea of mine. I that Cheryl Murakami had a group. It was so cool. God, she was so cool. So she, there was one bar that would do this in the, in the village. And I loved that, but there was nothing else like it. It was only her once in a while. I mean, she wasn't there regularly. And I was just like, no, this is so cool. Everyone wants to be at a bar and be like, well, I'm not dancing, but I'm going to watch those, those girls kill it. So never got off the ground. I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. Um, and I just, I think there was a, a self-confidence issue. I also, again, I needed to train more, um, even though it's fun and sexy and like whatever, there's a lot of uh, vocabulary you need to have to become a better choreographer. I, I'm going to hand it to myself. I was very, very, very good for the little, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had maybe 15 entire dance classes in my life. And I kind of made a little career as a good choreographer for a period of time. So I had it in me. I just, I think, um, well, no. And I, I, I think what you're saying is like natural talent will get you really far but there is a limit to natural mm -hmm. talent and that's where training comes in. And I wasn't, and I wasn't a natural at gymnastics. 
I am a natural at movement, at dance, but I did not nurture it. Right. And so that then that that would have been really difficult. Did you think that if you had gone into dance and taken ballet when you were six instead of gymnastics, do you feel like that would have you would have stayed with ballet? Had I found dance, commercial style dance, had I found that as a teenager, we would not be having this conversation right now. I guarantee I would be some tool, cocky jerk performer in the city um, because I would have been that good. I would have just yeah. dominated, but um, I'm glad I'm over where I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing now. I would have been really, really good. So talk a little bit about now, this is a great segue, a little bit about what you are doing now. Where did, so where did all of these experiences lead you? When I went to the dance store in New York, I won't mention their name. Uh, when I was running the store, this is a really similar experience. So boy dancers would come into our dance store and not see any clothes for them. And 50% of the time they would already be entering in tears because this was their sixth store that they went to and there's nothing for them in New York City. Oh my God. Yeah. After, you know, in 2008 or 2006, whatever. And I'm watching these boys and I'm like, I cannot turn these kids down anymore. So I spoke to the owner, my boss, and over and over again, I'm like, no, you need to put this product in here. I'm done turning these kids away. I will buy it. I don't care. Just get me something. So I got a small little bit of stuff um, and I made sure it was in the front of the store. So when the boys came in, they had, and it was very minuscule. I mean, the, guy, the kids really didn't need that much anyway. Black tights, white shirt, pair of shoes, um, you know, maybe occasionally something else special. But I mean, for the most part, their uniform is tights and a white shirt. And I mean, God, that's all they needed to do and they wouldn't do it. So I finally convinced them to do it. And then I expanded and expanded the boys options because it became like 15% uh, of their business very, very quickly. And now you're the only store in the city of New York that has mm -hmm. that. So now all the boys, yeah. even if it's a small percentage of the total dancing population, yeah. Yeah. they're all coming to your store. Yeah, and that, that kind of word of mouth gets out quick. And that, you know, social media was a, not a thing when I was teaching gymnastics, but it was at the store that I was at. So that was very, very quick. I mean, and these are like major schools are there with like 40, 50 boys in their program. Like, whoop, they shipped them right up to us. And then after I helped that store go from uh, lots and lots of debt to making a profit, they fired me. Of course they did. Yeah. So after I got fired, I was like, you know, I am never working for somebody else ever again. Um, I work too hard. I work too much. I'm also kind of just, I don't do taking orders anymore. I did that enough. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, not that I wanted to give orders. I just didn't want to take them anymore. And I wanted to make sure I can just explore my talents as a leader and as a creator and as a worker for myself. So I went into business with my mother. And we opened up a Pilates studio together. She trained me to be a Pilates teacher. And in the meantime, I decided I was going to open up a company called Boys Dance 2, a retail store specifically for boys with my current business partner, who was my assistant at the store. She also got fired 
a month after I did. And then a month after they fired us, the entire store closed down. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. hmm. What goes around comes around. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe it was because, you know, we weren't there. I don't know. Uh, or it's possible that they knew that they were going to close and they were letting people go. They were letting people go. Like yeah. that they were getting, they got out of debt and that was enough for them to either like close down because you can't really close if you are in debt or they they sold, they sold to somebody. Not really sure. But that was the end of that. And I opened up a website. I, had, I was very bad at the internet. I knew nothing about, I barely used social media. My friend at the time and I opened up a store called boysdance2.com. And we had the junkiest, crappiest photos of a couple kids that we knew in town at my mom's Pilates studio and photos of me in the house. I was standing on a bed sheet hung against the wall. And then you can see the bed sheet like, cause I tried to match the color of the wall and the, it was bad, but we started selling things before we opened, like, cause we were, went on Facebook and we were like, okay, this is coming. These boys were so desperate. This mom drove from like Connecticut to my house in Jersey city. We weren't even open. She was like, do you have this, 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 I'm going to a funeral on long Island. Can I stop by and get the things you have? I'm like, sure. And like, I don't even know if she gave me cash. I don't remember, <laughs> but I opened it in this tiny little walk-in closet in um, Jersey City. And that was the birth of Boys Dance 2 in 2010. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, God, that was a long time ago. So do you still, you still own that store? I still do, yeah. Um, we, and we, our trademark is still active. We went from, I'm going to say a five by maybe like a eight foot by three foot closet. So basically what happened, I lived in a four bedroom, three bathroom apartment condo in Jersey city with a bunch of roommates. And then when, when we grew, when my business grew enough to move into a new room in the house that was bigger, luckily someone said they were leaving they were like I'm leaving and I'm like oh my god my business I can put this in there and get bigger and then another roommate was like I'm leaving and I'm like you know what I think my business has grown enough where I can expand so all of a sudden my whole apartment wow. four bedroom I had it all um and the whole second and third floor were my business and I lived on the first floor we we just kept growing um and our focus was caring about the boys very similar to what I did with the boys program, the boys gymnastics program. We took out all the pink, no pink allowed enough. Cause if you went on any of the dance store websites, it was, Oh my God, it was just every tutu unmanageable, like all the pink and the hearts and the purple and the whatever. And I say that with this nasty tone, but only because it was so overly saturated, even as a girl, I, would have been like, guys, really? Like, I think this is a little much. Like there's more to dancers that, than just we like pink and tutus. Like we like other stuff too. So I was just so mad at this like overly saturated feminine message that they were sending. That mm. Stereotypical feminine. Stereotypical feminine, yeah. Yeah, it was just so, again, one dimensional. I was like, this is not, this is not how I would define 
female dancers or male identifying. I would not do this at all. Anyway, so we just made sure boys dance too was boyish, plain, um, no frills. We definitely used the word dude a lot in our social as we were going through it. So like I was borrowing a lot of typical boyish in quotes language because I knew again, just like I did at the gymnastics school, I knew that that's what the parents were craving. That's what the boys were craving. Like, can you just do something that fits this mold for me? Um, even if I'm not that mold, they still liked it. Um, even some of the city boys that at that age were just like super flamboyant and they don't care. And they just, they're, you know, they come from a super liberal family and they're just like painting their nails and like super, super feminine. Um, they still really liked our store because we, it was very obvious we were paying attention to them. Mm -hmm. We grew really, really fast because of that. Um, caring about them was the best way we could have grown. Um, I think we, if had I understood business a little more, I would have tripled the size of the business and gotten funding and stuff and like grown rapidly or even faster. I just didn't, I was so scared. I, I was a first time business owner and I wanted to take my time and- It's not a bad idea though. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it allowed me the room to support the boys instead of thinking like a businessman. So I would go to the competition and I would meet some of the boys and I'd ask them to model and like, you know, ask being a model for the boys dance two store. It was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess something that I remember struggling with though, when we were doing creating boys dance to like becoming a for-profit business as the internet and like social media was really, really erupting with opinions and what you say is very delicate, but also please use the platform to make a statement. So we were hashtagging Boys Dance 2 since 2009, actually, before we opened. There were times where I was a little careful and I regret it, but I just didn't know what to do. There were times when I wanted to support more out-of-the-box male dancers, and I didn't because I didn't know the crowd. And like, I didn't know what the parents were expecting. And I was, you know, I was very, very careful. Cause I'm like, well, we, we need every customer we can get. So I'm not gonna say anything about this or say anything about that. Cause you didn't want to alienate your customer base. Yeah, and I did. And I knew that we still had like a lot of people in conservative, you know, people shopping with us. So like- So when you say out of the box, male dancers you mean like let's say non-bite or like someone who's trans I don't think even at that time like I don't remember and I wasn't really searching but like I don't remember trans or any uh, trans dancers being very visible so like I actually I would I didn't even go there but it's you know what I think it was actually it wasn't so much the supporting a out-of-the-box dancer I think at that time it was are we supposed to celebrate pride mm. like I'm gay uh -huh. I think most of the, you know, adults in the room shopping at our store are probably gay. I don't know. Um, am I not supporting pride? Am I not? But is that then assuming, right? Is that assuming that if you're a man and you're dancing, then you're gay? Yeah. Right? Like, I, I see what you're saying there is like that 
if you're trying to support boys dance too, that means all boys can dance no matter what their sexual orientation is, what, how feminine they might come off, how flamboyant or not flamboyant they are, if they like pink or if they like black or if they like blue. Well, and that's, uh, yeah. And I remember, so when we first came out with shirts, we talked about this on Sunday, when we first came out with graphic images on the shirts, we just put boys dance two on it. And that was it. And they loved that. And people would send us ideas and examples of other shirts that these boys were wearing. And I absolutely hated them because they were combative. I'll give you an example. It's still popular. Real men lift women. And there's a graphic of a male dancer lifting up a girl. I hate that. I hate everything about this. I, I Don't tell me and don't tell a boy what a real man is, even when it's to support mm. male dancers that feel marginalized. That's not, I don't want the boys, they need to get out of that language. There is no real man. And it has, real men have nothing to do with what they lift or who they lift. What they're touching. Essentially, that's what it is. What they're right. touching. Yeah. And that, yeah, we talked about that too. We're like, you know, when we, cause we would bring up the bullying on social media and, you know, we'd ask parents for advice. Can you share with other kids what you say to, you know, when your kid is bullied, what do you say to them? They're like, oh, well, we just tell him, well, at least I get to touch girls all day. And at least um, I dance, one of the t-shirts is kind of funny. <laughs> I dance with your girlfriend or something like that, <laughs> which like, just you know, kind of true. I, I, I appreciate that because like, that's probably true. You are dancing with someone else's girlfriend, I'm sure. But it's just like, women are not possessions. And like, you, you're not supposed to flaunt that you get to touch girls all day long. It does objectify women. Um, that, that once again, the, you know, going back to what you were that you and Kosha were talking about earlier, that the message is, it's okay to do this because we're sexually objectifying women. Or we're putting them down. Yeah, like it's not, nobody's saying, oh, well, don't be like a girl. This message is, it, it plays on male jealousy and male sexual desire and the male gaze of women, which is like, I'm doing this because I get to um, touch chicks all day instead of like, I'm a dancer. I actually like dancing. Yeah. Like you said, actually, Michael, just a few minutes ago is, even in support of the boys who are dancing, you're doing the same thing, you know, the broy douchey dudes are doing. You're using the same, you're going back to the same toolbox. So you're not actually breaking any stereotypes. You're not actually breaking out of the shittiness of that like male dominated, you know, like bro culture. You're actually playing into it. You're using the same gender norms to protect yourself in dance as opposed to in something else. Yes. Well, I think Michael, you had mentioned to me before where, you know, some of the parents were like, well, football players also wear tights and they smack boys' butts. At least, you know, my kid is touching a girl. It's like, but right. again, you're, you're bullying the boys who have been bullying you, but also like what's wrong with smacking boys butts 
there are also gay football players. Like, and now you're, now you're getting into this, this tangled web of bullying where you're just reciprocating the shit. Yeah. And like, that's why I like what's going on now with however, I mean, at least in the world that I live in, I know this isn't everywhere and it's not like changing this fast everywhere, but the kids, the teens, they're teaching us how to do this better. There is no real men do this. Real men don't say real men. And we don't care about the word men. And like it's start, they're starting to become in charge of the words that are being used. And I like it because we all did it wrong. Definitely those parents that we just talked about are we're not doing it right. And it's just like, I hope that keeps moving. It is. Um it is. I think this language that we used to use, this old language is going to be obsolete. It's just not even going to make sense to people anymore. Just like I'm struggling with the new language, it's going to reverse. And it's just, I, I do remember struggling though, when I started, like how much of a fight am I supposed to put up, you know, trying to make a name for myself. And then now, so like I, I, I ran boys dance to we grew really really quickly and then I started a conference for male dancers because they were nowhere to go the only place that boy dancers really went to together besides the occasional uh, large conservatories that have plenty of boys is at a competition mm. so once again the boys only meet each other when they're trying to beat each other at something and I was like this is dumb I need them to have something nice to go to where they are gathered together. They're trained just like I did with the gymnasts. Like they need to just be together. I started that in 2017. I had a hundred boys come from all over the country. And that became, that conference became the love of my life. Um, getting them together. I mean, there was like 12 year olds coming out of the closet um, to their parents right in front of me. Cause they felt so safe. Um, I also was at a point in my adulthood where I met really influential people. Um, there's a DJ that will forever be like the mo the shift in my life or the shift in my thought process. Her name is Tasha Blank. <sighs> she created a party called the get down. It was the most free space safe space that I've ever been to there's no phones on the dance floor no drinks on the dance floor and everyone is welcome all parts of you are welcome here and we would meditate together and then she'd pump this music and we would all dance like maniacs and she would sort of coach us through it wasn't just turn on music and everyone's partying like she it was an exercise she would coach us through letting go of pain and letting go of our fear of moving the right way her whole system made me feel safe enough to be anything that I wanted. If I wanted to be feminine, I could go activate that. And if I didn't, if that's not what the music was saying to me, if that's not what my body needed at that time, and I needed to feel the more masculine part of me, I would dance that way. And if I was overly protective all day long for my work or whatever, she, the part of me that needed to be exposed, you know, shirt comes off, you know, like, it's like, she taught me how if I create my safe space for myself, I can find all of the other dimensions of who I am. And that includes 
masculine, feminine, dominant, submissive, expressive, shy, sexy, funny. I didn't realize that because we're trained that no, just like when I said before, you are this, that's it. This is who you're supposed to be. And I'm a businessman. I'm supposed to be serious, disciplined, money. I'm a man now. You know, everything is this now. This is my only personality that I get to use. I was like, oh my God. The only, it was only until Tasha Blank that I forgot that what I used to be like when I was younger was like 50,000 different types of Michael. You couldn't define me. You know, there were so many different parts of me and like the release that that gave me, I was like, I have to bring this to these boys. I have to revolutionize the experience they have together and at these dance things where all it is at the dance stuff is to be cool, to be the best, to be the hottest, um, to have the most attitude, to, um, you know, be the best on Instagram. And like, at this point, gay is like, who cares? There is no, no one cares that you're gay, but you have to be the hottest, the coolest, and the most popular. And I despised that. Now, I, there's value to some of that, some of the time, the competition stuff. I appreciate the competition stuff, but that's all they were doing. And then, so they came to this event and before they even come to the event, I called every single, I had a 20 minute phone call with every single participant prior to coming. I would talk to their parents and then I would talk to the boys. There were rules before they got there. The rules created the safe space. You know, there is no, people are, people are not gonna look like you. They're not gonna talk like you. They're not gonna dress like you. They're not gonna dance like you. And I need to know that I could need to rely on you that that's not only okay, but that you invite that to your experience. And they would have to verbally say yes. And when they all came, they all had to wear the same shirt just to show some unity. And we all started together and like the open, and then the first night I would have them have like a talk together. We would like do a little bit of an icebreaker kind of thing. And the unity that they had with these complete strangers, they have never met any, uh, some of them have never seen another male dancer in their entire life. And they met each other. And there were the macho dudes and there were the feminine guys and there were the big, huge, like kind of big guys. And like, it was just awesome. And, and that, that's been like the love of my life is creating events and opportunities and education like that and teaching them that there's more to them and all of them are welcome. All parts of them are wow. welcome at this space. Wow, that's so cool. You just really said what this podcast is, right? And what yeah. a great way to kind of like tie the knot or tie, tie the bow is, you know, we, in the very beginning of when we were starting the podcast, we talked about, you know, people who are othered and it's like being othered is an invitation to a club you don't really want to be invited to, but you go and then you see all of these other people who have something, some connecting thread with your experience. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Don't be. The history that I just explained to you from when I was younger until I until now. I am at a point in my life where I am finding where I belong 
at 40. The space where all parts of me are not just welcome, are needed is in the event that I just spoke about, in the training that I am currently giving online. I'm finally finding this spot for me. And I didn't realize that I was doing that this whole time. The retail, the dance, the gymnastics, the training, the whatever, those were only one part of me. And, and I didn't feel like the other parts were welcome. I always want, I wanted to give that to the boys. And I, I guess I didn't realize I was giving it to myself because the things that I'm really talented at for all of these years, all the stuff that I just talked about, all get to play with each other in the space that I'm creating with um, coaching online and the conference and stuff. So it's, it's very overwhelming. I've had a little bit of a, I'm not going to call it of a breakdown. I've had this emotional release just a couple days ago. Um, God, when you really find your space, it's like really powerful. Um, sorry. I need to apologize for, for your emotions, right? I think it's, this <sighs> stuff is hard. And I think some of us, all of us wrestle with some of it all of the time. And mm-hmm. some of us have to wrestle with it more for any number of reasons, but you're right. It, it is, it's a gift to yourself that you didn't know was out there to be able to really bring your full self to the work and not to whatever work, right? It doesn't even have to be a job, right? But whatever you're doing to bring your full self to that and that the things that used to be either you either have to like put a lid on them or put them away or they're like detriments to you and you have to find a way to like navigate in this space like oh I'm like this and so I can't it's not really welcome here so I got to figure out a way to navigate around that um when when those when you don't have to do any of that stuff it's it it is it does create so much emotion because you're just like I don't have to stop being myself in any way. And I think also, you know, you spoke about when you would blow up at your, your mom and your stepdad, it was because you were too something to, Oh, you were too girly. You were too overbear, whatever it was, you were too this and that and the other thing. And I think you're at a point now where it's perfect interestingly and I know now I can see where you and Mark fit really well because something that he said which we're going to get to now is you know your advice and his advice was like you find you know you hold on to that thing inside of you that's like people would say is weird or strange and you hold on to it and then there's going to be people who don't like you because of that weirdness and there are going to be people who are like that's weird but we're just not going to talk about it And then there are people who are like, that's weird. And that's awesome. And that's, we're going to, we're going to lift that up. And essentially what you're talking about now is finding, and I'm, I have goosebumps now is finding that space in your life where you're able to be your total self. And it's not to anything T O O it is perfect. It's needed. It's needed because those boys need someone like you who has been through all of those experiences no one else could have run boys dance to the conference 
But in the interest of time, when we do want to be respectful of our time and also knowing that you're an hour later than us. Oh, yeah. So we want to make sure that we uh, do not take up too much of your time. On a and you have a husband that turns into a toadstool. Yeah, it's happening. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Yeah. As Kosha just, you know, alluded to the, the second to last question we always ask our guests is what advice would you give someone who is in your position now or someone who is where you were 20 years ago or a young boy that's thinking about getting into an activity that's traditionally considered girly, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, I hate saying this. I just want to throw up. If, if you can just stop at any point, try and feel like with sensations in your body, the parts of you that are not your thoughts, your blood, your organs, your skin, your muscles, and it is very difficult to not accept that there is something inside of us that is in our thoughts. Just acknowledging that and finding it, those are the thing, that's the part of you that knows right and wrong. Um, I could say your gut, but I feel like it's a little bit more. That thing, will speak to you loudly usually um, or quietly or loudly when you have found that right space when what we're talking about so like i if you don't recognize the feeling of i'm in the space where i can be every part of me you'll skip right over it you won't know you won't notice that you're in that right space and then ask yourself how much of this can you take because that's a lesson I've been trying to learn is how much pleasure can you stand? I would be at that get down and that's a thing that she would say. But if, I, if she didn't say that to me, I would leave because I was enjoying it too much and I didn't think I was worth that. I, I'm, this is too much goodness. I can't handle this, I have to leave. Or I'm satiated, I'm, now I, I did the thing I know there's an hour and a half left. I'm not bored, but I'm leaving because I got the thing that I needed and I want, I should have had more. So my advice would be that I usually writing down stuff, what I'm feeling at any point, even if it's work related, gets the thoughts to kind of come out a little bit enough where I can go, okay, where are, where, where's the other parts of me that are not my thoughts? And if I can feel that, I will remember when those parts of me are at their most free and then I can remember those places and keep going back to them. So like Mark's advice of like, find the spot where you feel you are, um, we your weird is cool. And once we want it to grow, if you don't know you're there, you might skip over it and you don't, and you're not going to, you're not going to feel the power it has. You might know intellectually like, Oh, I probably should go here. Cause they, they make me feel better, but I want it to overwhelm you in a way that's like, no, I have to have that. And I'm going to fight my way over to be with those people and this company. Otherwise the social norms or the social pressure is going to pull you away. It's going to be more powerful than you. And I don't want that for anyone. I want, you to know in your body, the parts of you that are not your thoughts, when they're the best 
And that's where, that's where you follow and no pressure from anyone is going to take you away from that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. Right. Cause that you're absolutely right. That people can think themselves out of anything. Mm-hmm. They can convince themselves that right is wrong. Wrong is right. Things that they know. And, you know, I think your sense of right and wrong says uh, you, you messed up on that one. You know, you know, in your, it's, mm. it's in the solidity of your, your, your physical self, right? It's in your skin, it's in your muscles, you know, it's in your breathing, it's in your digestion, you feel kind of nauseous, you know, you feel tired. We can think ourselves out of what our body is telling us. And this, you know, your advice to be like, empty your brain of your thoughts so that you can listen to what your physical body is saying, that there's wisdom in physical bodies that is not about thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And when you feel the power that you're of, the, of, of finding the right spot, you feel it in your, feel it in your physical self, right? And for people who are physical, right? You're saying you were a really physical kid, it's a little easier to tap into because you live in your body more than you live in your head or you live in your emotions. For other people, it's a lot harder if they live in their head more, they're thinkers rather than body doers. It's harder. Same thing with, you know, feelers as opposed to doers. But that advice is right, which is like, clear your head, get it all out and then listen to what everything else is telling you. And when everything aligns, that's when you're going to find like the, your personal sweet spot, when everything is going to come together and be the right thing. That's awesome. And clearly you have done just that. Some uh, occasionally um, to to the listeners, clearing your head is very, very, very challenging. It's very, very hard to do. Um, But just that moment, it's like literally a moment of, and I don't usually say clear your thoughts because you can't, but you can find the things that are not your thoughts for a couple seconds. You can get there. You can do it. Because it's not possible, as you said, to clear your thoughts and be like, I'm thinking nothing. Because even the thought of not thinking nothing is a thought, right? And so, yeah, like that's (laughs) not necessarily possible. (laughs) But what you can do is separate yourself from your thoughts and recognize that you can look at it from the outside in, right? And and, and Mm -hmm. differentiate those. So I very much appreciate Mm -hmm. uh, the advice. So the last thing that we always talk about, and you were involved in <laughs> when Mark was around. So I, I hope he didn't steal all of yours, but you know, it's the Familax and you can bring him in now if, if, if you wanted to get him involved. He might be involved. fully toadstooled. Yeah, <laughs> unless he's a, unless he's See a if toadstool. I need him or not. Just like curled up in bed. But he brought up, so we talk about Familax, which is like words and phrases that you say just in your home or just with your found family, just in your small intimate groups. He mentioned Zach Socks, which now I want to say all the time because I love it. And you were involved with like poopy puppy, poopy puppy or something. It's like a very specific dog mm-hmm. type that you would see. No, Mark stole all of them. Um, That's two. I know you have more than that. What does it have to be with? 
Does it have to be with Mark? It doesn't have to be with Mark. It could be like uh, your- Your dance people. Your dance people or your retail world. God, I need Sarah. Um, I only have curse words. That's okay. I mean, Sarah and I make no sense ever. That's the whole point. Yeah, but that but you make sense to each other. That's the point. Zach Sachs makes sense to you and Mark, but not to the rest of the world. It certainly didn't make sense to your wedding guests. <laughs> so this is something I, I got from Sarah. Sarah's my business partner. She's a remarkable woman. She taught me a text message 13 years ago where it's the face that you would make. Here, I'll, I'll, maybe you, you guys are better with words, so I'll just give it to you. Oh. Like, oh, honey. It's not really an eye roll, it's, but it's like, it's just sort of like. The mildly, the mildly disappointed face. A little, little empty, a little really like a little bit like that um like and slight, it's just a, slight pity there's like a little pity involved yeah it's the disappointment and, disappointed and pity and a little bit of like come on like yeah, I just like what the fuck yeah but not like violent and it's right. just one <laughs> one period that's what you do oh you yeah, put we just that face us. this 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 that yes that's good yes <laughs> hold on, that's hold on. really good this period this that's the face oh my she's good yeah that's the exact face well, i live in that face most of the time <laughs> kosha will attest to most of me walking around is like this before emojis she would just send a period and hold on she'll she do it oh this Oh, you and Michael, you do it too at the same time. All right. Ready? Yes. Okay, I totally took a picture. And that's amazing. Okay. So before also you did this before emoji. Just a period? Just oh, a period. That's so great. Just a period. And I still do it. And I'll do it in like help chats with like tech help. Like when they just like <laughs> give me ridiculous news. I'm like, nope, you're getting the period. And I would send it. And then I would like tell Sarah, I just send them the period. And some of them oh, sort of respond good. in a way they were like, I'm like after the period, even if I didn't yell at them, if I just put up the period, they'll be like, I know, I'm sorry. And I'm like, how do you know this language? Yeah, it's really like quite- That's, that's powerful. Awesome. I'm gonna try yeah. it and see yeah. if people get it. Because I can <laughs> yeah. see that would be like, if someone, it's like the whole idea if you're having a conversation and the other person like in text doesn't like what you're saying and they just put K and you're like, ooh, you're pissed now, mm, right? Mm, yeah. But that's what- <laughs> That is awesome. I'm going to try it. Oh, no, that is really good. Also, I would like to point out that Mark just sent me a text with a period. <laughs> well, so I'm going to conclude our interview and say thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You found your space. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what comes next. Me too. Thank you.